Just over 20 weeks ago, I had this idea. Why not do a podcast on the business of farming in Australia? The reason was that over my lifetime in agriculture, I had met some really interesting people doing some very interesting stuff when it came to farming and reckon that it would be good for other people to hear what these people had to say. So thankfully, with a lot of help from Matthew O'Toole here at Marcus, we ventured off into the unknown world of podcasting. Five months later, this brings us to our 20th podcast. The series, Marcus Ad Talk, has now been downloaded nearly 5,000 times and listened to in nearly 20 different countries. So thank you all for listening and sharing and looking forward to sharing more ideas with you over the coming months. Robbie Sefton is the founder and managing director of Sefton's, which is based in Tamworth, New South Wales. Sefton's is a communication agency providing services in corporate affairs, government, media relations, strategic communication and marketing, digital and social media, events management, facilitations, community consultation programs. Robbie specialises in facilitating groups through contentious and challenging issues. A producer of wool, meat and grains, Robbie is a graduate of the Australian Rural Leadership Program, the 2002 Riddick New South Wales Rural Woman of the Year and a member of numerous boards and advisory groups for the government, business and not-for-profits. Since 1990, she has lived, worked and travelled all over regional, rural and remote Australia as a rural leader and advocate. She is known and respected by farmers, agribusiness, ministers and people at all levels in between. Robbie was listed in 2015 as a Westpac Woman of Influence. And last but not least, we had the pleasure of Robbie's presentation at the 2018 Marcus Oldham Rural Leadership Dinner. I consider myself fortunate on several occasions to have spent some time with Robbie discussing the issues of rural Australia and always found her engaging and insightful and who best to invite onto the 20th episode of Marcus Ag Talk podcast to discuss how Australia's agriculture needs to position itself in the post-COVID world. Welcome, Robbie. Hello, David. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm really well, thank you. Now, what's happening up in northern New South Wales now? I mean, I know you guys went through a pretty hard time over the last couple of years. I'm hoping it's looking, looking a bit better. Well, it's a good question to ask, David, because on the weekend, Alistair and I just went out and had a look at our canola, barley and wheat crops, as well as, well as um, hung over the fence and looked at our lambing ewes, um, our merinos. And I've got to say, it's just remarkable, the change. And in fact, I posted it on LinkedIn. I don't often do that, but uh, I often just post stories like what we're going to talk about now. But I felt that the change was so dramatic and so fundamental that, you know, within eight months, we've just seen our farm that truly, I know it sounds a little bit extreme, but it looked like you were walking on Mars. There was not one blade of grass on our whole property. No matter where you went, no matter which rock you overturned, there wasn't anything. And, I know, uh, so, yeah. And it was really, really tough. And so, and I just take my hat off to Alastair, my husband, who, you know, for two and a half years we embarked on, so we had pretty rough crops, that first beginning stages. Um, so it just didn't, so how, it's, how it started was that the crops you know, weren't great, but, you know, low yielding and low profitable aspect uh, and then it just got worse so the joy is that crops are looking fantastic um, the sheep are really in great order and in fact we sh- we're shearing we're sure in march top the wool sales with that wool which is just incredible you timed that well 
Well, you'd think it'd be, um, you'd think there'd be a break in the wall. You'd think it'd be just full of dust yeah. and, you know, the VM would be high. But the yield was was pretty good and the quality was excellent, considering, you know, considering. So we're now farming with half of our sheep, still a few thousand, which is good, but cash flow's going to be tough for the next few years. And um, yeah, so it's, so we're really, really needing a good season or three to come our way. But, you know, of course, farming, you never know what you're going to get. And I think that's important for people to realise is that, you know, these things don't happen overnight. Sure, seasonal conditions are are terrific and it's fantastic to see. And and you're right, I I was up at Armanale for four years, well, actually four and a half, I should have been four, uh, at university during the 80s and it was pretty dry there. But friends of mine sent photos of it last year and I've never seen it like that yeah look I've I've never seen it like it either and to be out in it every morning so every morning at six o'clock all the the so we made a decision a strategic decision to to hold our livestock as many as we, we run sheep and yeah. um we also run two other farms for a Sydney family with 700 breeding cattle so strategically both businesses decided to go through this drought with our livestock so we really needed deep pockets and but we mm. we made that decision and we think it was the right decision based on where it's come out and how it's come out but by joves it's taken a real flogging to our um to our bank um, yeah. balance <laughs> and but it means it has meant that we've come out with some lives like with good livestock um and able to keep going forward and We've also, we sold our header a few years ago, but we've, re, we've gone and bought a new header, not a new one, a, a good header. And yeah. so we want to, I guess that we want to be in control of our decision-making as much as we can. And so yeah. that we can, we're lining up every every base so that it counts and so that ideally we can win. And mm-hmm. so we're watching all the crops right now for disease, like, like a hawk, we've got the agronomist, you know, involved heavily. And, you know, watching the ewes, you know, they're all well, well, they've been well prepared for lambing and hopefully we'll go into lamb marking and weaning well with them. And we've got really good paddocks. So we're used to, we've got a 15 year grazing and cropping plan, which was literally thrown out the window for three years there, but it's now back in action. We've got really good, we've just replanted a whole heap of lucerne for that rotational, getting that soil active again. But yeah, I, I'm surprised at how well the soils come back, to be honest. It's just, it's remarkable. And the livestock look fantastic. Mate, that's fantastic. And I think that leads on to what I suppose, and again, I could love to talk to you about that all day, but we better get on to the topic <laughs> while I got you for. Yes. But I think that's actually a good leading because I think one of the things I, I love talking to you about is, is, is that you don't come to this subject as a communication expert, but you are. And you, you, you come at it as, as, a, as a farmer, you cross over into the communication uh, field, which you're very good at. But the issue that I think it's really important is this, this, this thing that we keep on hearing about called social licence. Now, myself personally, I, I, have, I understand what social licence is, I think, and I'm glad you can hope you can clarify, but I, I do have concerns about the term social licence. So, what I'd be really interested to do to start off with is, in your mm. words, what do you think social licence mean? Yeah. So I really empathise with what you're saying. Is So in summary, to me, social licence, uh, me as a farmer, it, it gives me the permission and the authority to grow the crops and the wool and have the, the livestock that we've got in a way that 
is going to meet the expectations or understanding of the consumers that that um, eat or wear my my um, woolen clothes. So so that eat eat, eat our um, the grains that we produce or the meat that we produce or certainly clothe themselves in the wool that we produce. So it's actually about us being transparent as farmers, knowing that we have done the very, very best we can for the animal welfare for our sheep at every step of the way, from, from the minute those ewes and rams conceived to those lambs being dropped, so that they've got good tucker um, going into conception, really good tucker when they lamb, so that they're feeling strong and healthy. And then when those lambs weaned so that we actually have best practice at handling those lambs during that weaning process and that lamb marking process that there's that we use protection and analgesics on any lambs if, if any of them are cut and we don't we don't cut our lambs or anything we don't mules our lambs we've spent the last few years in actually breeding out as many wrinkles as we can and we've now got really good animal husbandry practices to manage the fly strike and the well-being of our sheep so much so that you know as i was saying we topped the wool price just this year with good wool so so animal welfare is critical at any stage of that lamb's reproduction or that that sheep's cycle that we have them for we sell our sheep through auctions plus so that means less handling on trucks etc so that ideally we have limited movement of those those animals as they move through the system so that's it from a, um, a cropping point of view excuse me from a livestock point of view with our sheep but from cropping we have that we believe very strongly in having healthy soils as much as we can control that so for us it's about having that crop rotation that I talked about is really making sure that those soils are as full of nitrogen as they can possibly be um, through the best additives, through the right type of cropping with nitrogen fulfilling plants and, um, and then making sure we've got good crop rotation around that and um, certainly good moisture and cover on those soils as we can get when we can. So that's the soil side of it. Um, as far as managing water and runoff, we have a, a process where we try really hard to capture as much water as we can in a responsible way. We've got, we planted 10,000 trees about five, five or six years ago. We're just about to find another 8,000. And that's going to be fenced off so that there's an, a corridor for biodiversity. So native and small furry animals to run through or get or to be safe, safer than they are at normal times. So, and we also have a, a, a fox program to to um, try and manage that fox situation and feral pigs, we trap them as often as we can. So we manage ferals as, as much as we can. So, so for us, it's a practical solution. It's about being really the best farmers we can be. But generally, if I talk with my communications hat, it's mm. around us making sure that the whole supply chain, where possible, is as transparent as possible and is willing and able to demonstrate how they're looking, how we're managing um, whether farmers or fishers or foresters acting as really good stewards of the land, sea and operating sustainably. So that goes right across through the environment, through animal welfare and, um, as I said, our soil and water. Robbie, why should I care? I mean, as a farmer, I, I, I go about, I do the best I can. I believe that I'm uh, uh, looking after my livestock as best I can. And, you know, I don't interfere in, in the consumer's business and have to know everything about theirs. Why should I care? What, why, 
what gives them the right to come and tell me what to do? Well, it's a really good question. I know it's one that many of uh, many farmers and agriculturalists grapple with. I, I think that where we are in society now, and I guess it's really, and I and I've been in comms for you know over twenty years, so I've seen good communications programs, strategies, and campaigns being developed pre-social media. But as we now move into the twenty-first century, with rapid change and so much of that change has has pretty much been built on the supply chain particularly when it comes to food but those at the pointy end which is food products you know the food and grocery sector having consumers actually saying well i want to be part of the decision making or i want to be part of knowing where my food comes from how it is grown or produced and how safe and secure it is and i also want to know whether it's been grown in a in a um, in a manner that's in using that buzzword sustainable. So has it got the world world class food safety and environmental credentials? What's it doing regarding modern technology? And what's the skilled labour like in that? So you know, I want to know whether you're actually working with people that are getting well paid as well. So consumers are now through pretty much digital media and the clusters that they now the tribes that they now live and work and play in are now saying, this is what we want. And so the manufacturers of those foods and the distributors of those foods are saying, right, they're, they're pushing back on us as the supply chain, as farmers to say, right, you need to deliver X, Y, Z to me like this. The big challenge I find is how do we fund that as farmers? So that's a really big challenge. So now to me, it is pretty much business as usual that we do need to be as transparent as, pos as possible and dare I say, open up our farm gates to show people, I'm not talking about that figure, like um, um, that we have to do that. Mm. But I do believe that if we can behave as transparently as we can, then that gives people confidence to know that we're doing the best thing. So yeah, it, to me, it actually means walking the talk, bottom line, and that us as farmers just have to do that as well as we can. And we don't have to be audacious about that. We don't have to be show ponies about it. And we don't even really have to publicly demonstrate that but I do believe we do need to have a way of of showing that in a way that is transparent if required to do so yeah so you see one of the problems also I see is that and again I spend far too much time on Twitter but I see different farming groups or different organizations or different farming methods you know pushing a label, whether it's organic, whether it's regenerative, whether it's sustainable yeah. and pushing labels in a way that says, well, come with us because we're better than, because of what we do, our farming system's better than that farming system. And you can't yeah. trust that farming system. You can only trust us. And, and I'm concerned that this, this sort of drive to, to win the consumer dollar is, is, is resulting in this sort of increase or lack of trust in in how most farmers go about their business mm -hmm. okay i think you've really raised a question there david that that not many people are prepared to go to and that's about unity in agriculture and it's about this shared vision about what we all stand for so i think that we need to really look at developing more capability and across industry sectors to actually really understand what we stand for and what we what we believe in and i'm with you like i was being interviewed last week 
by a, a, a national journalist who made it really clear that that she stood for for regenerative farming and why didn't I, why wasn't I standing for regenerative farming? I said, I don't think it's a matter of which tribe you're in. It's just a matter of what practices are you performing in your farming business? And are you looking after the land and your livestock and animals and your soils and water as, as in the best way you possibly can? So whether you're a broad acre farmer or whether you're a rangeland pastoralist or whether you're a small acreage farmer, to me, it's actually about doing the right thing all as uh, all the time, and it's like, and it's not about pitting anyone against the other, and it's not about this religion of I'm better than you are because I do X Y Z. You can't operate like that in a farming system, but I do believe that there are practices that you you can do that makes a difference. I suppose it gets back to what you're saying before. If we're transparent and we're actually measuring these factors and, and you know that's a whole different question about what we should be measuring but if we if we focus on the outcomes whether david cornish likes to drive around nude on his quad bike at, at midnight planning whatever it doesn't matter what matters <laughs> is that, that he's actually well it does matter actually <laughs> we might go there. but what matters is the outcomes am i making this place you know by yeah. you know robust measurements Am I making this place a better place to work, a better better environment for 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 all the stakeholders within the business? Wouldn't it be better to focus on, as I say, the outcomes rather than the process? Yeah, and I, I think that people like myself and and you, um, I, I look forward to um, going mustering with you, David. Maybe at midnight, but we'll <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go on our motorbikes. I'll race you to the, to the grid. <laughs> Um, I'm too old for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should go spotlighting one day then. Anyway, so I, I think that, that it is about, to me, it's about looking at what the outcomes are and it isn't always about, it's not necessarily about the process. And But the process is important. It's about really understanding what you stand for as a farmer and what, yep. what it is that you, that, like I know for Alistair and I, what we stand for is to have, a highly productive, profitable and highly sustainable farming business, which means that we do have to look after our soil, our water and our and our environmental aspects, such as, as I mentioned before, the small furry animals, our flora and fauna. And we look after the welfare of our livestock and our crops, etc. So that we can't operate in a good systems process without actually doing that. So I guess just to bring it back to that bigger picture, but where we're one of the projects that my company's involved in is with AgriFutures Australia, and it's called Community Trust in Rural Industries. And so basically, the t 10 research development corporations and the National Farmers Federations have got together for a three year period to start to look at building the capacity of food, the food and fibre industries to start to productively engage with community. So that's, that's within their own farming sector, as well as with the consumers. So what they've done is that um, they've engaged a, a, a company that's a, a derivative of CSIRO, the social division of CSIRO, and they've interviewed over 6,000 people across Australia, some of those being farmers, some of those being mainly being consumers, to actually understand what are the community expectations and views and the experiences that drive trust for our rural industries? And then 
What is it that's going to drive acceptance of, of those practices? So what they've found is that there are, uh, there are some main drivers. So one's around the environmental responsibility for the, you know, I talked about farmers and fishermen and, and, and um, foresters here acting as stewards of the land and the sea and operating sustainably. Another one was industry, industry responsiveness. So, and that's the extent to which industries listen to and change their practices into response to community concerns. And then thirdly, around the value of rural industry products to the lives of Australian, Australians. So to what extent does industry products contribute real value to the lives of community members? So how is it that we make a difference to, to those communities? So is it important that, that Australians buy and consume Australian-made food and fibre? And to us as farmers, yes, that is critical. And I think one of the strangest things that's happened with COVID-19 is that it's actually put the spotlight back into agriculture. And certainly as we've seen border controls um, shaping what can and can't go across the border, we're actually seeing consumers understanding where their food's coming from a bit more and how vulnerable some of our food supply is based on accessibility. Now, Australia, we're not going to run out of tucker. We're, we're pretty good. Even if with the toughest droughts, we actually are able to be sustainable as a nation to supply our own food. With over 65% of our food being exported, you know, we're pretty safe when it comes to providing and growing really good food. And also fibre, of course, cotton and wool. But those three factors are, are the things that is being focused on and um, with this survey. And um, so in the first year of that, and now looking at what are the messages that need to be delivered and how is it that we as farmers and the industries particularly can start to be involved in, in that national collective narrative, as it's called, and then having a common language that we can start to communicate. So which goes back to your comment around what I call the tribal um, communication yeah. around I'm a I'm a regen farmer I'm an organic farmer well let's look at what fundamentally are the underlying the foundations of what that means I think that means I care for the soil and I mm. care for managing water and if that means water reform then maybe that you know that's certainly part of it but I care about then I care about my um, the biodiversity on our farms and which is flora and fauna native and um, which also then cares about how we manage ferals including weeds and also how we care about our soils i think it's really important i'm on that concept about actually what do we got in common because i find you know when talking to these people that 90 percent of the stuff we've got in common it's just the last 10 percent that we seem to come to blows about yeah it's crazy and that's so true and it's like when you and i were very fortunate david as being participants in the Australian Rural Leadership Foundations program. And one of the key learnings I learned from that, which has, you know, been a few a little while <laughs> since I graduated, I'm still in my twenties, is that you know, appreciate <laughs> we appreciated our differences. And you know, that's where we need to come from is what we have to understand what makes us have a shared vision and then we need to appreciate our differences and start to understand those differences and come from the fundamental place where those those foundations lie and that comes from the values and principles um, model it doesn't come from slagging off and setting each other apart from each other it's appreciating our differences and coming to the middle somewhere along the line of that 
and sharing those differences and appreciating the common good that we've got. And again, just, I want to go back to that. And again, there was an article that was on your LinkedIn page, John, uh, I think you released it last week. You make this, make this comment, Robbie, but on the whole, society is not unrealistic unre- in its demands. Animals should not needlessly suffer. The environment not permanently despoiled. Precious water not siphoned off to benefit a few. Now, I would argue that, that not many people would, would question, it, no matter where they sit on the fence, yeah. those, those general statements. My concern is who makes that call? And, and again, I suppose sometimes the farmer, and again, I've, I've, and, and my wife works in a more intensive industry where she's had people come onto their farm and take videos of, of, of their mm. things behind their back and things like that. Yeah. We're a bit concerned about who's going to make those calls. You know, because there are some people who, frankly, want to close down animal agriculture. Okay, that that's their yeah. belief, that's their values, and and again, I I don't agree with them, but I but I respect their that they have those 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 values and beliefs, but they are now starting to I suppose come onto our farm, come invade our, our properties, and and make their values or beliefs trying to push their values and beliefs onto me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that, that that is quite threatening. So, yep. how do we bridge this? And again, so that, that no matter that the the, the the cause and reaction is that well, naturally we start to go well. If you're going to fight like that, we're going to fight like that as well, which obviously doesn't solve any problems. How do we deal with this issue? Because you know, certainly COVID's quietened it down, but before COVID, it actually got quite quite bitter down here in Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, David. I think those of us that were watching that, that were lucky and lucky and privileged that it wasn't happening in our backyard or our back paddock, felt huge empathy and a great deal of sadness around that and total unacceptable behaviour. So I, I think that I, for one, would feel exceptionally anxious about that and feel quite strongly that that's not okay, that behaviour of trespassing without permission and behaving, but I think that that's, as we sometimes see the extreme of um, what's going on. So I think that that's where what's really, really important is comes back to this bigger picture question, which I'll drill down in a minute too, but it's about Mm. unity. And it's about us actually as farmers being really clear about what we stand for when it comes to this, like, and then making sure that our elected representatives be that, the Victorian Farmers Federation or the National Farmers Federation at a, at a national level or our land care groups. So all of the groups that we are committed to that are, we're involved in, whether that's our sheep group, our livestock group, whatever it may be, that we have a, a communicating, understand what's going on for us and then we communicate up the line so that then our elected representatives, which then gets to our parliamentarians, are able to make the right decisions based on what is fair and responsible and right for us as agriculturalists that are supplying the food and the fibre to our nation and to the world, which is making a difference to our Australia's bottom line and our GDP. So I think it's actually having the right people in the right leadership roles that makes a difference. So therefore, I believe leadership's critical when it comes to agriculture and our farming systems and our farming practices and where that comes from is the grassroots so that means that organizations like Marcus Oldham um, are teaching really great young people 
the very strong values and principles as well as the science about what it takes to be a good farmer and how these days it is more than just being a very good practitioner practitioner and a, a husbandry or cropping expert it's more than being a good technician more than being a good manager it actually now is taking good leadership at every level of the farming practice and system and agricultural supply chain to make sure that we're doing that we are getting a strong and capable voice and then if we're going to have a blue about it we have it behind the scenes we don't come out publicly when we don't necessarily agree with each other that we have those discussions and those strong conversations that we need to have behind the scenes so that we can make sure that publicly we've got a strong and clear position that makes it very clear that we do care about the safety of our food and fibre and the security and sovereign risk that we have around our agricultural systems and um, production. Because I think it's important, and again, I've seen some examples of farming that again uh, get me very angry and gets my blood boiling. So it's not we're not. I'm not sitting here saying farmers are getting a, an unfair cop. In some cases, I think we do have to improve our assistance, mm. and, and certainly on our own farm. You know, you talked about use of anesthesia. Anesthesia. Oh, I can't even say the word, Robbie. We use numb nuts. We use numb nuts for the first time. <laughs> How about that? It's a um, big because from a communication point of view, that's a great name, isn't that clever? Yeah, it's a, cracking. A very clever, I love it. Yeah, it's great. It I, works well. I want to get a t-shirt with "I'm with numb nuts" on it written on it. That's another story. I'm going to talk to him. Uh, whilst you're riding your motorbike at midnight, what a cool thing to do! <laughs> but, but 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 this 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 wanting to wanting to improve the way that we do farming, and, and again and again, I, I think it's come back to this this. I've heard this talk about. We often focus on the extremes at both angles, but really there's a a large middle group that that, that it's probably better for us to engage with who who yes. understand agriculture probably more than we give them credit for and are willing to listen to us and accept the road we're on as long as we're honest with them and and show that we're actually trying to make a difference. In other words, we don't have to be perfect today, but we need to show that we're on we're on a a, a path to to improving what we're doing. Definitely, David, that I think you've hit the nail on the head. And look, one of the best practices that I've ever seen from trying to communicate who we are and what we stand for and what we do on our farms is actually come from um, down the Marcus Oldham College's neck of the wood is Deb Bain, who's a farmer in the Western Districts, a remarkable woman who was a Rural Woman of the Year for Victoria a few years ago. And she came up with Farm Day, this really fantastic initiative where urban or anyone from anywhere in Australia, but mainly urban Australians could go out and stay with a farmer or just visit for the day and actually get to experience what it was like on a farm. It was remarkable. The farm, they were oversubscribed with farmers. So they couldn't keep up with the bookings for people to come out and visit farms. Now we had people from Sydney come and visit us and stay with us and come and hang out on our farm. And it was a really, really great experience. It's unfortunate that that program has now no longer in operation. And I believe the only reason it's not is because of the cost of insurance was just insurance. a bit crazy. Yeah. yeah. Which is just ridiculous. But I think that that was a while ago now, but I think we should look at revisiting initiatives like that because those farmers, when they opened their front gate and their hearts and minds to their urban cousins, 
they were willing to show the warts and all for how their farms were at that particular time. So whether that was dry, they were in drought, or whether they were having a, a good season or whatever, or whatever was happening on their farm, whether it was during harvest or seeding or shearing or whatever it may have been. So it was a really powerful way to communicate. And those people that were interested were often those that were sharing that information back into their network and their tribes. So I, I think there's a call for that type of activity. And, and I guess the other thing that I feel quite strongly about is around courage. You know, I wanna see our research development corporations and our leaders and people who are in decision-making roles in agriculture to demonstrate some more courage and to actually start to look at projects like that to say, well, you know, you know, there may be a bit of a risk involved here, but let's have a crack at it. Why don't we go out there and have another look at what we're doing? So rather than sit on the fence and say it's someone else's responsibility, I think that that's where this, that's to me is what unity really means, is that having this shared understanding of what we need to do and then people having the guts to go out and do it. Because I truly believe that farmers have got have got that ability and are willing to you know whether it's opening their front gates and again as i said their hearts and minds i think that they're willing to do that or, or other initiatives but I, I so where i'm seeing some of the blockage is actually with um some of the it's all packaged around governance and compliance but i actually don't think it is i just think it's around people's ability and appetite in decision makers roles sometimes in the sometimes in the supply chain not prepared to to take that risk and that risk is actually reputation risk it's actually not about work health and safety or other risks it's mainly about their reputation and that's because of the culture that they're now operating in because dare i say they're nervous about what their clients or consumers are going to say or do about them yeah. But to me, inertia or no action is a bigger risk than actually going out and having a go. So just on that, so I want to sort of go back, uh, let's talk about political leadership or, or farmer leadership. The NFF has come out in the last, I suppose, last six months and come out with some pretty bold statements, I would suggest. One of them is about the 100 billion farm output uh, by 2030. And the other one last week was about the net carbon zero statement for 2050. Yeah. I, I, I applaud them. My, my concern is do, what do you call them, beachhead statements or, or aspirational statements like that, are, are, they, are they important? Do they actually add to the discussion? Because my concern is what if we don't hit those or what, what's the, yeah. what if we don't have the, the, the right pathway to achieve them and suddenly these that get thrown back at us as an organ, as a, as as a, as a industry saying, well, listen, you said you were going to be net carbon emission by 2050, and you're nowhere near it. I mean, the other one is obviously in the the meat industry being carbon neutral by 2030. Yeah. There's some pretty bold statements. Yeah, and a really hard yakka. Like, yeah. holy heck, you know. And also, what what concerns me sometimes is that. I don't know if it always accounts for what we've just gone through. Like, for instance, on our farm up in the northwest of New South Wales, with bloody hell that really tough three years like coming out of that millennial drought as well so like if if we actually look at the impact that we have on so COVID-19 global commodity prices geopolitics drought climate change floods bushfires etc so just you know you just I mean, yeah. and, they're just, <laughs> and they're the ones that come top of mind yep so you know like with what China's doing at USA etc so I think that there's a 
there's a filter I think we need to put across these these really I think they're really good initiatives however the reality you know real life steps in and but I think it's it's like any business like it all of us need a a plan you know even if like a plan on a page whatever it is we need to know where we're going and we need a pathway to get us there so if nothing else that's what I think this these like the, yep. the carbon zero and the hundred billion dollar roadmap to the future go. That's what it's about. And it's articulated in a way that it is relatively broad. So in theory, I really support them. I do believe though, that it does need, we need to find a way to make that stuff walk the talk. What it does do and what I notice, particularly with our clients who are some of the biggest businesses in Australia, corporates and governments and, and research development corporation, is that it gives them something to hang on to as well. It gives them some focus so that they can go back to their teams and to their boards and say, well, look, this is what the farmers are saying. This is where the farmers want to go. Here's how we can be involved in this. So whether that's our our telecommunications consortium, whether that's a, a very, very big food manufacturing or a very, very significant food retailer in Australia, it gives them something that they can actually make sure that when they're doing their plans that they can link them to so it gives us a connectivity back to our farmers and back to 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 the industry groups that represent us so if nothing else it's a conduit and it's an opportunity to collaborate and it's also if we did it well and properly it's an opportunity to make people accountable to as well as ourselves so like for instance with the carbon zero model that we're seeing around 250 for instance, our bank has just come to us as a collective, you know, to its farmers and it's saying, what do you guys think about this? You know, what, what, what do you want us to be doing about this from a farming point of view? What's your knowledge of it? How's it going to impact on your farm? And what, what can we do to support you with the knowledge and information that you need if you choose to go down this path? So I don't think I would have seen that coming yeah. from a bank even three years ago. Mm. So that's what, to me, it does. So, yeah, so whilst it may not give us the the tools of the trade to actually act on it straight away, it gives us the, it gives the industry collectively an opportunity to collaborate and to actually put a stake in the ground to say, well, this is what I reckon and what do you guys think? So that's a game where social license comes. It actually means that your banks, your the organisations that are shaping and influencing our behaviours and that we shape and influence theirs, this is where social lines comes around that helps us so that we can actually go back to those, let's just say the bank, for instance, and say, well, look, mate, I think you're on the right track or this is what we reckon or no, no, I, I don't believe this is where you need to go. Yeah. So it's a way to communicate and a way to consult in an authentic manner. I think... Yeah. So, Robbie, I suppose I've got one last question for you, and it would be remiss of me not to ask you, where to from here for agriculture in rural Australia in in a post-COVID environment? Because in my experience, one of the things as a a sort of, again, as a farmer, but also someone who's looking at what the media and, and, and everything's saying is this question around how we do it, not just what we do, is becoming more and more discussed, not only at the consumer level, but as you say, with, with, with the companies that we interact with and on a global level. And you know, we, you know, even in China, when I was there, there's this question around our environmental sustainability on our farms in Australia was something that seemed to be 
important to the consumers. So I don't think that's going to go away, is it? No, it's not. And I think that's a really good question that you're asking. And look, I, uh, anyone that knows me or knows of me knows that I, I come from a place of being very, very proud um, agriculturalist and, and being positive about that, but realistic at the same time. Like, you know, I'm, resilience and tenacity and um, and transparency are things that I live by. And so I'm concerned, actually. Um, what I'm really concerned about is our productivity level. And Agribusiness yeah. Australia released a report just recently. It's on their website. It's well worth having a look at. It's actually on our website. I've written a story about it just recently that's come out in, in the land. And it's basically saying Australia's ag sector is valued at $59 billion dollars as in may but to get the desired 100 billion dollars by 2030 that nff's talking about the industry has to generate four percent growth every year for the next decade and on current trends growth levels are at 6.3 percent below where we need to be so also what's concerning is over the past 15 years we've lost some of our global competitiveness and you know, our, my concern is that we are around 14% less than we need to be. So uh, we have got to start to look at our productivity and what that means. Now, I've just joined a board called, um, it's the bid for the Smarter Regions CRC, Cooperative Research Centre. So, and what that means is that we're looking at how can artificial intelligence be involved in rural and regional Australia from a manufacturing point of view. So how can we get that supply chain closer back into Australia so that we're actually value adding our agricultural products before we get them offshore more? So that it's not purely about that, the CRC, yep. but as a smarter region, what are we doing? Um, how are we going to be doing that? But what also concerns me apart from productivity, and it goes back to that AI, is the data. So if we don't start to capture and manage and own our data that we are getting from our agricultural sector within the next five years or so, then the global businesses and the global companies, organisations and institutions that we sell our raw product to will be doing that for us. So we need to be always wagging the dog's tail, not the tail wagging us. So we have I've, i'm concerned around the ethics and the uh, operational aspects of our agricultural supply chain when it comes to data and access and collected and who collects it and how it's collected and what are we able to shape and retain or manage in a way that we can still operate very powerfully in the global stage but absolutely manage who we are and what we do on our farms and in the supply chain. So, you know, so I'm not talking about any particular countries here. I'm talking about the globe and what, yep. where we're losing competitive opportunities and then who owns the, the data and information that's collected from our agricultural enterprises in Australia and how are we influencing that and what's our role, our leadership role in that. So they're the, they're the two things, I think, is around productivity and who owns, in, in simplification, who owns the data. But then how are we going to get closer to our on-farm, dare I say, regional driving jobs in the bush 
for young people particularly, AI doesn't necessarily take it away. It creates opportunity. Um, and what, what are we doing about that too? It's interesting you say the productivity. My, my poor students who have to put up with me, one thing they'll leave, hopefully, Marcus, understanding is how important productivity is, is to uh, a profitability of, of Australian agriculture. Yeah. Yep. Robbie, listen. And David, sorry, just one more thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. Sorry. Okay. And no, please. It's not that I don't, I don't want the last word by any means, but what just popped into my mind there, which I feel quite strongly about, and I'm, I'm yeah. on the board of Headspace, which many of us know about, is, is there for young people around their mental health and agility. Yes. The other thing I think is really critical for Australian farmers and our rural and regional communities is our wellbeing. And mm. so apart from being productive and profitable, and sustainable we need to be looking after each other and caring about each other and which goes back to that comment that you made before about you know who we are as farmers we're not in any particular tribe or any particular camp so we do need to look after our mental health and our physical health and we need to care for each other generationally and so i think that that's really important so secession planning is really important and we need to be making sure that we are looking at agriculture as a whole supply chain for all of us and particularly for our well-being. And I think some of the, the you know, on the on the half glass full side there, Robbie, I mean, I look at what was around when I left uh, uni yeah. to go farming with my mates and, and or some of my mates and we went into a drought, we went in, into the uh, wool crash, all those things during the 80s. And I think what, what the great thing is we're seeing a lot more programs, a lot more support, a lot more farmers, and I think this is so important, a lot more farmers getting out and talking about the issue of mental health and, and, yeah. and how yeah. they've dealt with it. And, and don't like saying normalising, but, but just saying this happens and, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, not unnormal to feel like that. And I think that's such a great thing to see more farmers doing that. I do too. And, and seeing that women and young people are really also now making a real difference and a yeah. huge contribution to the glue and the and the well-being of the family and the decision making that, that goes Absolutely. on so yeah. yeah so it's critical robbie thank you once again as i say it's always a pleasure to catch up and and you always stimulate my brain which at my age is important it's a shame we can't have this over a red wine but i'm hoping before too long that we can do that once again so thank you thank you david it's always a joy to be with you and i really mean that and also to be with Marcus Oldham, the college that makes, you know, great young leaders, particularly in agriculture. So keep up the great work, you guys. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Marcus AgTalk podcast. Please, any feedback on the series would be greatly appreciated. You can either leave a message on this site or email me at cornish at marcusoldham.vic.edu.au. Stay tuned to next week's podcast as we continue to explore farm management from an Australian perspective.